Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? You good? Good. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome if this is your first time with us or first couple of times with us. We are in week four of a series called Gone Fishing where we are talking about the calling that God has placed on his people and his church to go out and fish for people. Uh, it's based on a series by a guy named Andy Stanley um, in Atlanta. He's one of my favorite teachers. And, uh, and in week one, let me just do a little bit of a recap. Week one, we talked about Jesus calling his disciples. And when he called his disciples, he called them and said, hey, follow me and I'm going to turn you into something. And uh, he said, I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men, a fisher of people. And we talked about what that means, that God wants to turn you, if you're going to follow him, Jesus wants to turn you into a follower that brings other people into relationship with him. Week two, we talked about why we need to talk about Jesus. And we just said, look, the, the story of Jesus is not intuitive. You're not going to go sit under a tree and come up with the story of Jesus. It is not based on religion. It's not based on a belief system. Actually, Christianity is based on a historical event, something that actually happened. And the only way we learn history is somebody tells us. Um, we can't dream up and think of what history must have been and come up with that. We need to be told. And so we need to go out and tell other people about Jesus because um, the only way we can learn the story of Jesus, the history of Christianity, is if we're told. Last week, we talked about praying a very simple prayer that um, I hope some of you took me up on the challenge to pray it, and I would love to hear stories if you did, but we just said, hey, what would it look like in your life if you were to pray and say, God, enable me to speak about you with boldness in my workplace, in my relationships, in my neighborhood, in my friendships? And uh, if you missed any of those, you can go online and uh, catch up, and uh, they are all at our website, kensingtonorlando.org. And then today, we get to week four. We have one more week in this series. Today is called Fishing Buddies, because fishing is always better together. Now, how many of you have ever gone fishing? Go fishing? Um, now, isn't fishing more fun with somebody else? Um, for the sheer reason that you need somebody to verify when you catch the big one, right? It's like, it was this big. You need somebody to go, it really was. Or you're going, it was this big. And they're going, it was this big. You know, it's like you need somebody with you. It's just more fun to fish with other people. Well, here's the thing. Um, fishing for people was never intended to be a solo expedition. Um, uh, fishing for people was never meant to be something that we go out and do on our own. We have been called to partner with other people to get the job done. And so I want you to really listen to me today because this explains, today explains so much about who we are as a church and why we do things the way we do. This is extraordinarily important. For those of you that, are, that take seriously the responsibility to tell other people about Jesus, but it is just so fearful, you're so afraid, it's so difficult, um, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, you're afraid things won't come out right, or they're going to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. And I'll just say this, if you take the responsibility of reaching people for Jesus seriously, today I want to tell you about a fishing partner that you have in your boat with you. And I want to tell you how to leverage that partner to reach people for Jesus, because if you don't know how to leverage the partner that you already have to tell people about Jesus, then you're going to make it really difficult on yourself to reach people. And if you're here today for the first time and you have not crossed the line of faith, uh, maybe someone dragged you here or you lost a bet, maybe, that's why you're here, or you passed out drunk last night, you woke up here, um, yay to whoever brought you, you know. Um, uh, I'm glad you're here because today we're literally going to be talking about what the church is supposed to be, not just this church. 
but the church. And so I'm glad you're here to see kind of behind the curtains about this place we call the church. So let me pray for us before we jump in. Um, Jesus, thank you for today. Um, thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for the church that is literally meeting in places um, around the globe on whatever day it is and whatever time it is in their, their, their time zone. Lord, I thank you that we get to be a part of this movement that is worldwide. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would allow um, me to just be your mouthpiece. God, I, I have nothing of, of value to give um, anyone in this room, but you have of, of, of just un, unlimited value to give. So God, speak through me to all of us that we might hear your voice and your words. Um, teach us through your scriptures and, and give us the message that you have for each one of us to take from here so that our lives might be different and better and we might become more like you. In your holy name, amen. So you are sitting in quite an amazing place. It's an unbelievably, uh, unbelievable place. Um, not Windermere Prep, although this place is pretty cool, right? Um, you are sitting in a church, in a school, but bigger than that, you are sitting in the Big C Church, the capital C Church, one of millions of churches around the world that teach the message and story of Jesus. You're actually sitting in a place that is a movement that started 2,000 years ago that Jesus actually began. He called it his church. We have our roots based 2,000 years ago in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And the church around the world has become an unstoppable force of God setting people free. It's become an unstoppable movement. And I'll just tell you, this movement, this thing called the church, is your partner in fishing for people. And so I want to talk a little bit about this thing called the church and what Jesus dreamed for the church and an interaction that he had with his disciples, because it's important that all of us understand this so that we can leverage this partner we have in reaching other people called the church. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 13, um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now that's how Jesus referred to himself. Um, it's what the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would be called the son of man. So Jesus says, hey, who do people say I am? Now, that's an odd question. And if you want to know how odd it is, just ask people in your workplace tomorrow. Just go in there and say, hey, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And people are going to say, hey, you know, surprisingly, the only person talking about you is you. You know, that's kind of be their answer. But Jesus is going, look, what are people saying about me? What's the word on the street? Well, they replied, verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, people are saying that he's famous dead religious people. Like, that's what they're saying. I th we think you're the reincarnation of name, name your favorite prophet, right? That's kind of what they're doing. They're trying to explain why Jesus is so different. Why are all these things happening in our lifetime? Why are we witnessing miracles and thousands of people are coming to faith in this, in this guy and he's talking about God in a way we've never heard before, the kingdom of heaven. And so, so they're just kind of saying, this is what people are saying. But Jesus then looks at his disciples and he says, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I hear what they're all saying. But then he looks at them and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then one of his disciples, the most bold disciple there, Simon Peter, answered. Um, Jesus' lead disciple. He's a little bit older than the other disciples. Um, he experienced a lot of incredible miracles with Jesus. He was actually the disciple that walked on water with Jesus. Peter answers, or Simon answers, and he looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I believe in this moment, that is one of the biggest moments in history, 
I don't think those guys knew the significance of what Simon was saying. They certainly didn't know that thousands of years later, we would still be talking about this man that he was talking to. I think this was a moment where even the angels fell silent because it was such a big moment. Because Simon is saying, you're the living Christ. Three feet away from me, kind of same haircut, same beard, kind of same robe, kind of look like me. But I've been watching you, and I've been listening to you, and I've come to the conclusion that you're not somebody reincarnated back from the dead. You're actually the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years that was prophesied in the Holy Scriptures. You're the anointed Messiah, one of a kind, son of the living God. That's who I think you are. And in the silence of that moment... Jesus replies, and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is a, he's basically saying, look, this is a God moment. God revealed this to you. God told you this. Nobody else did. God revealed it. And then in verse 18, Jesus does something interesting. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And I can see Peter going, no, I'm not. My name's Simon. Who are you talking to? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. We're going to change your name. This is such a historic moment, such a monumental event in history. What you just said, we're going to mark what you just said by actually changing your name. And I'll just tell you, in that culture, when you change an adult's name, um, it's a big deal. And so to Peter, to, it, he changed it from Simon to Peter. And you just need to know, this is how big of a moment this is. In Greek literature, the name Peter doesn't show up until after this moment. Not even a name that's ever used for a human being until Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. No one had ever heard it. The word Peter is Petros in Greek. It means stone. So it's basically like saying, Simon, I'm going to change your name. You're not, I'm now going to call you Stone. And I can see Peter going, Stone, that's not a name. And Jesus is going, oh, yes, it's a name. I'm going to call you Stone. Hey, everybody, look around. Hey, I want you to meet Stone. Um, this is what we're going to call him now. We're going to call him Stone. And it, he basically took a word that meant stone, the kind of stone that fits in the palm of your hand. You might sharpen a knife on it. You'll throw it at somebody for your brother if you're mad at him, whatever. Um, you know, it's like not a big stone, but one that fits in the palm of your hand. And he says, I'm going to now change your name from Simon to Rock. I'm going to change your name to Rock stone. And then he goes on and he says, and on this rock, and we need to stop there at that word. There's, this has a lot, there's a lot of discussion on what this is, but Jesus takes the same noun, but uses a different form. He says, I'm going to call you stone that fits in your hand. And on this rock, in this version of this noun means cliffs, mountainsides, tombs, big can't move them rock. So he's going, I'm going to call you stone, but on this rock, immovable rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is Jesus saying? I, Jesus, will, future tense, build my, saying this belongs to me, church community of people who follow me. And I think, again, heaven just fell silent because this was the moment, this was the beginning of this movement where Jesus is saying, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. And on this statement, this immovable rock, I'm going to build my church in the future. Now, what is the statement? It's this, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This truth, this statement, this reality, it is true from the ends of the universe. It is true from before time to after time ends. It is a, it is a foundation that you can build something on that will last forever. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. On this statement, I'm going to form a new group, a new assembly, a movement, a brand new congregation of people, a brand new citizenship, and the common denominator for all of those who will join and be a part of it will not be their nationality. It will not be their language, their socioeconomic status, how many followers they have on Instagram, their traditions. The one thing, their common ground will be the statement, I am the Christ, the son of God, the son of the living God. And I'm going to build a new group and a new thing and a new assembly on that one statement. And he goes on, it gets better. He says, and the gates of hell will never overcome it. It's going to be so immovable. The foundation that it's going to be built on is going to be so powerful that the gates of hell, nothing will ever be able to stop it. It's going to build and build and build and grow and grow and grow and move and move and move. Nothing can stop it. It's huge. It's full of different people. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, a third of the world's population, over 2 billion people, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And there are people from around the world of different languages, cultures, traditions, doing baptism, communion, approaching theology, seminaries, schools, cultures, tribes, tongues, languages, get us all in the same room from around the globe, Catholics, Presbyterians, Baptists, Charismatics, Episcopalians um, from around the world and ask, what do all of you guys have in common with each other? And there is only one thing, and that is that we all believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that salvation can only be found in him. That's the foundation. That is the focal point. It's the starting point of what Jesus predicted would be his assembly, his citizenship, and his congregation in his church. And when Jesus says, build, I'm going to build my church, it doesn't mean build it deep. It means go wide. Every tribe, tongue, culture, um, they've all heard, about, all heard about Jesus. No one can stop it. And let's just face it, all kinds of things have tried to stop the church, Right? I mean, you're talking corruption has tried to stop the church. Financial scandal tried to stop the church. Um, all kinds of immorality, bad leadership, the Inquisition back in the day, the Crusades, all kinds of factions, all kinds of divisions. The church has been persecuted throughout the last 2,000 years. Nations have tried to stomp it out. Communism tried to educate people out of the church. Every kind of opposition imaginable, and yet it goes on. It grows and grows and grows and reaches more and more people, all because the Son of God said, I'm going to build my church, and nothing's going to stop it. Nothing can stop it. Not even the gates of hell, not even the powers of the unseen world will stop this movement. Now, here's the question. You have two things kind of going on in this, okay? So that's good. Here's this thing that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and then you and I have this responsibility to tell people about Jesus. So we have the church and, and, and telling people about Jesus, and it's like, what is the connection between the two? Um, what's the connection between my individual responsibility and Jesus building his church? Well, here's the beauty of it, and here's why I love you and I love our church. The church is your number one partner in the process of reaching people. The church, this church, because you're at this church, is your number one partner in the process of reaching other people for Jesus. Generations of church leaders and, and, and churches have missed this, but whenever people begin to understand that the church is my number one partner in the process of reaching other people for Jesus, and they actually bring people to hear the story of Jesus in the church, the church actually starts flourishing. And I just go back to like the first church I really was ever a part of um, on my own. It was a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist 
Baptist church in Texas. I was a teenager in high school, and I went with my friends to this church, the big church is what we called it. We went to where the adults were, so we called it big church. And it was so bad and so boring, and it was geared towards insiders and Bible scholars. Like, you never understood what the pastor was talking about. I never, I rarely understood what was being taught about, and the music was horrific because somebody's aunt liked to sing. It didn't matter if she could sing or not. She still sang, and it sounded like a couple of cats dying. That's what it sounded like, which that actually I liked because I hate cats. So I was like, well, that, that's music to my ears, but man, that lady cannot sing. Why is she up on stage? And maybe you've been to churches like that, but it was just the last place you wanted to bring somebody that wasn't a Christian, right? Like I would never bring somebody to that. You would never invite them to hear Aunt Martha screeching, low, long-winded preaching fire brimstone turn, you're going to burn kind of, kind of service. You're just not going to do it. You would never invite somebody to church that wasn't already in. Some of you were raised in a church like that. I was kind of raised in churches like that. Or you were raised in a church where the fishing process wasn't really emphasized. In fact, you were taught to love people and serve people, but never bring them to church, right? You're just like, don't do that. Who would do that? It was just, it was just, that's just the way it was. There was no compulsion from the platform to invite people. So consequently, you just never thought about it. I know I never did. Because the church wasn't a partner with me in that, in that part of my life. They actually worked against me. Like, I'm like, if I bring somebody here, they are not going to meet Jesus. They're going to be like, la, 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 get me out of here. These people are crazy. Um, that's just the way it was. In that church, very few people like me, teenagers, came to that church on Sunday services um, and went to big church because it was not understandable. It was just poorly done. We actually went to it um, to sit in the back row and pass notes to each other because that was really fun. And that's what we did. But for our youth nights on Wednesday nights, that was a completely different story. When I went to youth church, it was fun. We laughed. There were drums and live music, and it was well done. And I saw my friends on the stage. My first true youth pastor, his name was Donnie Anthony, had a profound impact on me. Like when he talked, I understood the Bible. Like when Donnie Anthony talked, I knew what he was saying. I understood what the words in the Bible kind of meant to my life. Um, I, he emphasized reaching out to other students and bringing them with us on Wednesday nights to that youth group. And I'm just telling you, that's how I got there. I had two buddies of mine that literally asked me for a year and like hounded me to come to church with them. And I was just like, no, I know what church is all about. And every church I've ever been to has kind of been this way. And I don't like it. I don't understand it. And it's not any fun. And they just kept, come, 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 blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, fine. And so I finally show up and I loved it. I understood what was going on. I knew everything that was happening in the service, and the girls were hot. And so I kept going back. <clears throat> and I'll just tell you this. One thing I learned from Donnie, and one thing I learned from that youth group is that it was possible to create environments where unchurched, unbelieving kids could come and hear about Jesus. And even though they didn't believe, they would come back to hear it again. And they would come back to hear it again. And they would come back to hear it again. And I also learned something really important as well, because it happened in my life. If you can get people in community together in a church, it actually breaks down barriers of unbelief. It can actually break down barriers of unbelief. Somehow through that community, somehow through being in community with other people, um, that life change started to happen. It started to happen in my life. Belief became possible. Where there was unbelief, belief started happening. Well, then I graduate high school. 
And I, I leave the youth group at the, this church, and I moved to Michigan to play golf for Oakland University up in Auburn Hills, Michigan. And I found a little startup church um, in 1991 named Kensington. Um, and they had actually built a whole church around the idea. They built a whole church around the idea that it was actually possible to create a whole church where unchurched people, both kids and adults, could come, and even though they didn't believe, they would come back to hear more. It was a church that shattered the paradigms of what church was, and they believed that if you could get non-believers in community with believers, that life change could actually happen if you do that in Jesus' name. And so when God called me to ministry in college, I wanted to go down the professional golf route. God had different plans for my life. When I finally decided that I was going to follow God into ministry in college, I finally said yes. I decided that I was going to spend the rest of my life finding people and building ministries and eventually building a church that was built around the idea that you could bring unbelieving, unchurched people into it, into a community with believing people. And what happened in there could be so powerful and so moving and so touching that people's lives would be changed for eternity. And I've given my life to that ever since that time in my life. That's why we do church the way we do it. That's why we do what we do. We want to be the best partner you have in reaching your friends and family. And like our promise to you is that I promise you, if you will get people that do not know Jesus here, that we will do our level best, not only to pull them into community with other believers, but we will teach the gospel in as clear a way as possible. And we will create a service that we, using every um, avenue of creativity and ability that we have so that they might come here and find Jesus Christ because we want to be the best partner you have in reaching people for Jesus. And I'll just tell you, why do we want to be that? Because most people that cross the line of faith do so in a church. Most people that cross the line of faith do so in a church service just like this one. And I believe that when they get into a spiritual community, people that don't know Jesus, that is centered around um, the statement, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that their lives will begin to change because they will get as close to the living Son of God as they ever will. And I'll just tell you this, you'll get as close as you'll ever get to the presence of this Savior when you're with the body of Christ in the church. There's something extraordinarily powerful about somebody who doesn't believe getting in the presence of the church when the church is functioning like the church with unconditional love and grace. It's explained by Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 19, he says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And before you go too far, it does not mean that I can say, hey, Alan, come with me. We need to pray that I win a million dollars. Okay, that's not what that means. And we're like, oh, and Jesus will give it to me and I will give it all away, I promise. Okay, um, no, that's not what that means, that you can just pray for whatever you want. Um, basically, he's saying, look, when you get together with other people that, that, are, that are Jesus followers, um, there's something that happens for where two or three come together in my name, keywords in my name, there am I with them. And basically, here's what that means. Anytime you get together with other people on official Jesus business, on official Jesus business, Jesus saying, you want to experience my presence? Um, you want to get as close to me as you can get on earth, um, then you get together with two or three people on Jesus's agenda, and Jesus shows up in an unmistakable way. Well, now, what does that mean? That means that when the church is organized and strategized around official Jesus business, which is what we do every Sunday morning, Jesus shows up in their midst in a powerful way, in ways that we can't understand it. 
And so for you and I, the most powerful thing we can do for our unbelieving friends, which all of us have them, the most powerful thing we can do is say to them, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. In fact, that was Jesus' whole philosophy, come and see. In fact, Andrew um, found Jesus. Jesus called Andrew, one of his, one of his disciples. And Andrew um, had that aha moment where he said, Jesus is the Messiah. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, can you wait right there? I've got to go get somebody. And he actually goes and gets his brother, Simon, who eventually became Peter, the rock that we were talking about earlier. He goes and gets Simon and says, Simon, I found the Messiah. Messiah, come with me, and comes and introduces him to Jesus. Philip, the same thing. Philip, Jesus calls Philip, and Philip, what he realizes, oh my gosh, this is Messiah. He runs and gets Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. Come with me and come and meet. Come and see, because there's something irresistible to being in the presence of Jesus. And it's supposed to be that way with the church. Just come and see. Come and listen. Come here and be a part of this community of people built on this life-changing foundation. And so let me tell you a little bit about why we do what we do. This is really important. We structure our services with people that don't believe in mind. That's why we start with music that most of us know that's secular, but has a theme that goes along with the day. And there's a real simple reason we do that. Um, If we did all Christian songs on a Sunday morning, and we have people coming in that don't know Jesus, well, Christian songs, what do most Christian songs sing about? The answer. We found the answer, and it's Jesus, and now we're all happy. That's not all Christian songs, but a lot of them, that's kind of the theme, because they're singing from the place of, I was empty and lost, but now look at me, I'm found and I'm full. And I just tell you, secular writers, you know one thing that they don't have is they don't have Jesus, and they don't have the answer. So when they write and sing about loneliness, everybody in the room is going, man, I've felt that before. And they leave it unanswered because they don't have the answer yet. Or they do answer it, and it's in like the next relationship. Oh, and then I'm happy, you know? So it's like we just, we can kind of go, hey, look, this is the reality of life. You're dealing with, you're, you're struggling with depression. You're struggling with loneliness. You're struggling with, with marriage. Secular writers have it best writing about the loneliness and the hurt and the hardship of life. So we're like, let's start there because everybody in the room can go, yes, I have felt that, and I don't like it. What do I do? And then we go, hey, we have an answer. It's Jesus. It's found in Scripture. And where two or three are gathered on official Jesus' business, Jesus says, I'm there. Your presence can be felt. We, la- we value laughter and joy. Um, I-, I want you to have a great time here. I want you to laugh. And even if you're laughing at me, I want you laughing. Why? Because laughter just breaks down barriers. I don't mind if I have to be stupid up here to get a little bit of laughter out of you because most people walk in here thinking it's going to be boring, it's not going to matter, and I'm going to hate it. And a little bit of laughter, a little bit of joy, a little bit of fun, and you start realizing that, oh, maybe this isn't so bad. It breaks down barriers because people don't expect to have fun in church. We use drama um, and we use videos. Um, We want to just have a touch of irreverence, just so you know, Um, like just because Jesus was anti-religion, if you didn't know that. And so we're like, let's just be a little irreverent in the church and just walk the line where we're getting rocks thrown at us from both sides, right? It's like, that's okay. I don't mind that. Let's be on the edge of that. And I just believe that Jesus was, was absolutely a blast to be around. Like all the pictures you see of Jesus, like the paintings, he's like, Like, that's mostly Jesus. I think most of the pictures, Jesus should have the biggest smile. He's God in the flesh. He's full of joy. He created joy. I think when he taught, he was hilarious. I think people would roll with laughter as he taught. When he would make fun of the religious people, I think people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. I just think it was just, he was a riot to be around. I think when he taught, everybody leaned in because he taught from real life and he told stories and he just pulled you in. And I'm just telling you, like, I I want us to be the same, be that attractional place where people lean in because they're going to walk away with something that's special. Whoever's teaching up here, like we want them teaching in a way that the Holy Scriptures make sense to your life and to all of us. 
And luckily, you have a pastor. I'm a bottom shelf guy. I'm about fifth grade educated. Just kidding. But I need it to be fifth grade so I can understand it. So that's kind of where I teach, all right? So everybody can understand. It's just one of those things where the, the scriptures of God need to make sense to everybody in the room. We sing together at the end of our services. Why do we do that? We do that in response because we take, we, we know that music touches us on a soul level. It touches all of us. Music makes everybody move just a little bit. And when you take the truths of God and you play them, you put music to them, those become anthems for the church. They become anthems that we sing because we're like, this is what we believe and this is what we know and we want the world to know it. We're the best fishing partner you have because when you put yourself out there and your friends who don't believe come to a place where official Jesus business is happening, the presence of God can actually be felt by everybody. And so when you invite your friends, um, we don't hope that they like it. We hope you like it. No, you know what I hope? I hope that they feel it. I hope that they feel Jesus. I hope that they can just can't. I don't know what this is, but I just got to tell you, I felt something. And then people say this all the time. I don't know what it is, but when I walked in, I just felt like I was home. I don't know what it is, but people say this to me. It feels like you're talking directly to me. And I'm like, well, I don't know you, so I know it's not me, but I know God knows you and he loves you. And if he wants to get through to you, he can use even someone like me to talk directly to you. And so you hear it all the time because where two or people are gathered on official Jesus business, God shows up, Jesus shows up. Your number one way to reach the world is to partner with the church, your church, and we're actually geared towards people that don't know Jesus. We want to help people far from God find God. We want to help you grow deep in your relationship with God. We have small groups and classes and stuff to do to help you with that. But we also want you to be out fishing for people and leveraging your partner your number one partner to reach other people. So with that as a backdrop, I just want to give you a real quick thought on how to leverage your partner. And it's really simple. It's invest and invite. It's invest and invite. Invest in meaningful relationships with people far from God. See, the tendency with Christians, and maybe you, maybe you know this, the tendency with Christians is after we become a Christian, we want to go and make all of our friends or we make friends with just people that are Christians. Like, we want to go, hey, well, you're bad and you're good, so I'm going to go be friends with all the good people so that I'm good. And we walk away or we forget the bad people or the people in our life that need Jesus. And there's a tendency within Christianity for all the Christians to get in a circle and lock arms and go, aren't we happy we're saved? We're not going to hell. Everybody else is, but woo! You know, like, that's what we do. And I'm just saying, look, <clears throat> you need to do both. Invest in relationships with other Christians because it's going to grow you in your faith and sharpen you and invest in relationship with people that are outside the church that don't know Jesus. Why? Because if you're a follower, followers fish. Followers reach people and use the tool, the, 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 the number one partner you have, and say, come and see, come and see, come and see. Invite them to a place where official Jesus business is happening and see what happens. See if they can feel him leverage your partner. You've been sent into your neighborhood, into your workplace, um, even your family to tell people about Jesus not only with your life, but then to invite them to be a part of his larger community as church. And I'll tell you how simple this is to forget, okay? And I, I need reminders about this all the time. Um, <clears throat> three of our very faithful families here, um, I invited years ago, the Beans, the Steinex, and the Nogles. Uh, I think the Lorries were on this, this particular team too. But years and years ago, when our kids were like little, um, we played, uh, they played flag football at the YMCA. And, uh, and Dave Bean was the coach, and the Steinex played, and the Nogles, their, their kid plays. Um, and they all uh, came to Kensington <coughs> from flag football. <coughs> we played together for four seasons. 
Now, here's what's really funny about this story. It wasn't until the third season that I invited the Beans and the Steinex to church. And when I finally said, hey, you guys ever th think about coming to church? Why don't you come to my church? Dave's look, Dave looks at me and he goes, well, I've been wondering when you're going to invite me to your church, man. And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know. You know? And, so, and so they showed up, <coughs> they loved it, and they've been a part of our community ever since. We're now in a small group along with the Steinex and the Nogles and the, and, the, and, uh, and, and the Beans, and they all came from this team um, and now in our small group. And it's all because how they got connected with us was God perfectly placed us in their life until so that we might invite them to come and see. And I'll just tell you, the problem is the pastor, it took me three years. You would think I'm just going there, hey, cool, come to church, come to church, come to church, come to my church, come to my church, come to my church. I have three years. Dave still gives me a hard time. He's like, I still can't believe it took you three years to invite me to church. And I'm like, dude, I know. What's wrong with me? And he's like, you know, I would have come sooner. And I'm like, dang it. You know, I missed out on years of friendship with them because I just didn't invite. And the funny thing is, I, it just didn't occur to me. I was too busy with life. <coughs> and I was too interested in football and, uh, and talking to Dave about football, like we talked, but it was always about, hey man, what if we ran this route and we did this, you know, and like never about, hey, what about Jesus? You know, I could have thrown that in. What if we ran this like post route? And hey, do you know Jesus? Like I could have done anything like that. And so I'm just like this. I'm the loserest pastor in the world, all right? Your pastor, three years it took me to invite some of, the, some of my favorite people at our church. It took me three years to invite them. So don't feel bad if you haven't yet, because you still can, right? You still can, even if it's three years later. Um, but I just, I just want to say this. Um, with this whole uh, uh, inviting thing, uh, there's something that I want to teach you to listen for that will change the way that you um, remember, remind yourself to invite. And I, I want to give you um, four cues uh, to invite people to church. Like when you hear any one of these four cues, uh, it should kind of trigger you and you go, oh, I need to invite them to church. Oh, this is my opportunity. Oh, God placed me in their life so that I could invite them in this moment. And you're listening for four knots, N-O-T-S, four knots um, in your conversations with people. The first knot is when you're talking with somebody and they say, I'm not from around here. I'm not from around here. This is an easy one because there's not a lot of people from around here. They're building 80,000 homes over here about 15 minutes from here um, in Horizons West, and there's a whole lot of people not from around here, and they've moved from all over this area and all over the country, really, to our area. <coughs> so when you're talking to them, and they say, I'm not from around here. Go, oh, 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 I bet they haven't found a church yet, or maybe they, maybe they need to be invited to church. This is my cue. And invite them. Say, come and see. Come to my church. <coughs> Second thing. I was not prepared for this. I was not prepared for this. It could be the birth of a baby, and I'm just not prepared for this, the death of a loved one. It could be marriage, and someone's going, I was not prepared for marriage. Like, who is, right? I'm not prepared for marriage. Um, I was divorce, loss of job, a change in career, and anyone that says I'm not prepared for this, you should be going, oh, 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 I need to invite them to church. This is my cue. Uh, the third cue is I'm not going to any church right now. Like if you start talking about church and somebody says, I'm not going anywhere, you know what? That should be your cue. <coughs> and I'll say it this way. We don't, I don't want to take other people from other churches. If they have a church and they're happy with it and they're serving there, we don't want to steal other, other people's sheep, right? Like they got a church, let them be there. We want to go out and reach people that aren't connected to any church. So anytime they say, I'm not going to any church right now, hey, that's your cue. Come with me. Come check out this place. And then the last one is this. Things are not going well. Things are not going well. If you're in a relationship with somebody and... They just say, man, things aren't going well in my life. You need to know that for most people, most often people, when they get to that point where things aren't going well, is when they're most open to an invite to church. They're most open to a relationship with God. 
And so anytime you hear one of those four knots, that's your cue. I'm not from around here. I was not prepared for this. I'm not going to any church right now and things are not going well. I want you to walk out of here and go, oh my gosh, there's four knots. I just need to listen for those. And anytime I hear those, hey, come to church for me and perhaps God will intervene on your behalf and you will be able, they will say yes. And that will actually lead to life change for that person that literally will be for eternity. And so what I want to do now is I want to share with you a story, um, a video story of someone's life <clears throat> that from a simple invite was radically changed and uh, redirected and the trajectory was changed because of that invite. It's the story of one of my good friends, Alan, um, Alan Wilson. And before I show you his video and his story, I would like to uh, invite our ushers down front. We're going to receive our offering right now. And so um, for those of you that are new here, let the basket go by. We're not interested in your resources. This service is actually our gift to you. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to him from what he's blessed us with, and we say thank you for the blessing that you've given to us. And so um, while we're doing that, we're going to watch Alan's story, and then I'll come up afterwards. But I want you to be looking for um, how a simple invite led to uh, life change. My name is Alan Wilson. I'm originally from Scotland and I've been working for Disney Cruise Line now for 20 years. My dad was in the Royal Navy and because of my eyesight I knew I couldn't be in the Royal Navy so I decided to join the Merchant Navy. So I went to a specialised college to be a marine engineer and I started working on cargo ships going around the world and straight out of school. Then out of the blue um, in 1999 Disney Cruise Line came forward and said, would I like to work for a cruise line? And I thought this would be a different challenge for me, so I started working for the cruise company. And working on the ships based out of Port Canaveral, I started making my way up the ranks to staff chief engineer. And during that time, I met my wife, who was actually working on the ship as well. 2008 came along, and we had our first child, Connor, um, a loving boy. I was blessed to have my family around me all the time. But there was also always something nagging that I didn't have proper roots. Something where I was going home every night and doing what I would call normal things. 2011, we had our second child, Lauren. And again, the family was sailing with me. In 2014, I was offered the chance to work ashore with Disney Cruise Line in the celebration offices. I discussed it with my wife and we thought this would be the best situation. It would help me my career grow. It would also allow me to set proper roots the first time I'd be able to do that in my working life. So I thought I had the perfect life. I thought I had the perfect job and I thought everything was going right. Unfortunately, this is where things started to, to turn a bit sour. My, my father, who, as I said, was in the Royal Navy, he did develop mesothelioma because of working on the ships. And thankfully, I was actually home at the time when he did pass from that. Also, I did notice that my wife and I's loving relationship was starting to fall apart. And I, I didn't understand why. I, I didn't know what was going on. Um, I, we tried to get some therapy and help, but that seemed to be not working. Then my mother started um, to, to, to fall ill. Um, she was a smoker all her life and lung cancer actually got to her as well. So I was in a pretty low state. And then straight after my mother passing, my wife told me 
that she's had enough. She didn't think that it was pointless. It was pointless us carrying on in a relationship, and she wanted a divorce. On the outside, I was getting on with my work, getting on with um, life, as it were. But on the inside, I was extremely low, extremely miserable, extremely unhappy. One last attempt at saving our marriage, um, my wife actually found a person um, to, to go with for marriage counselling. And I was talking to him privately and he said, why don't you try my church? And he started describing Kensington. And when he was describing this church, this progressive church that wasn't the cold, wasn't the, the boring place that I was thinking an average church would be like. I thought this would be very interesting. And I remember coming up to this place, which wasn't a church, there was no spire, there was no cross. It was actually a school ground. And I thought this was strange, but pleasantly strange. I walked up to the K Kids director and explained this is my first time here. And what do I do? And she opened her arms to my children and says, we'll take care of your children, please make your way into the church. They're going to have a great time. Then I walked into the sports hall and I thought, well, where is the altar? Where's the the pulpit? No crosses anywhere. And I thought, this is not the church that I would expect. The band members walked onto the stage and they started playing U2 as one. And again, I'm thinking, this is not a church. Why am I hearing one of my favourite songs? One of my all-time favourite songs, the first time I was in a church. I thought, this is fantastic. This is really, it made me feel welcome. It made me feel comfortable. And then I always remember this man walked on wearing jeans and a plaid shirt. And he introduced himself as the pastor of Kensington. And again, why is a pastor wearing jeans and a t-shirt? And I thought, this was nice. There was something about that that just reached out to me and said, this is the place that I want to be. And then Kevin started talking. And I was sure that he was talking to me and no one else. Um, and at the same time, I always remember this. The sun was shining through one of the windows in the sports hall. And the sun was shining directly on me. And I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that this was... God's telling me that I've found the right place. You're with us now. You're happy. And halfway through the service, Kevin says, um, does anybody want to make that commitment to Jesus, to tell everybody today that you want to make your commitment to Jesus and to get baptised? And I stood up and said, this is the time I have to make the commitment to, to God. I have to make the commitment to Jesus and I went up to the back and I introduced myself to Bill and I was almost in tears. And I said to him, I feel the need that I have to be baptised. And Bill just said, brother, sure, well, let's do this. Well, there I was in the pool with Kevin and he asked me if I wanted to commit myself to Jesus and to follow God for the rest of my life. I said, yes. I wanted to say something else, more Scottish, more sarcastic, but I just said yes. And then Kevin brought me under the water and I remember coming free and then everybody applauding me and I just felt warm, so joyous, I just felt so happy. Through the person who actually encouraged me to go to Kensington, all I can say is thank you. Thank you for getting to me in this place. Uh, I truly appreciate it. 
It's allowed me to find who I am as a person, as a father, and as a Christ follower. And for someone who's in the same situation as I am and know people that are on the fence, I do encourage you to reach out and give them that gentle nudge because I'm sure that they're going to find peace and happiness through the relationship with Jesus. Yeah, isn't that great? Watching that video, he just makes me want to say, you'll never take my freedom! Like, just... Thanks you want to say that. Um, but, you, you know, here, here's the cool thing about that video. You never know when a simple invite is going to turn into life change. You don't know. Your job's to fish, not necessarily to catch, because Jesus does the catching. And some of you are here because someone's been fishing for you, and you're here. Maybe you've been coming for a little while, but this is your day. Like for the first time, the story of Jesus might make sense, or you've been here long enough and you've just been holding off and holding off, but right now pressing on your heart, there's something pressing on you, or you just feel like, man, I've got to commit my life to Jesus. It's kind of like what Alan experienced. I need to do this now. And I'll just tell you, if you feel that pressure on your heart, that pressure on your soul, that is just God just kind of gently pressing and pushing and saying, would you commit your life to me? I've got a future for you that is, that is, that is beyond everything and anything you've ever hoped. And so I want to just take this moment in the service and just give you the opportunity. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, and all it is is just saying, I believe, God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for me so that through him I might find forgiveness for my sins and salvation for eternity. Um, today's your day. Uh, that's, that's what we say. And in that, through that belief, we are saved. And so I just want to give you the opportunity to do that right now before we do anything else. So everybody in the room, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And if you're ready, if today's your day and, and you're ready to step across that line of faith, I just want to ask you to pray with me. Um, you can make my words your own. Um, there's nothing special about the words. It really is the posture of your heart towards God. You don't need to say anything out loud, but you can just uh, maybe say something like this to God and just say, God, today I commit my life to you. I know you've been calling on me. You've been pressing on my heart. And today, I finally say yes. I finally want to take that step and ask you into my life. I believe, Jesus, that you came to this earth and that you willingly gave up your life on the cross for me, to forgive me, and to save me. And so I ask you for that forgiveness right now. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior. And God, I ask that you would help me as best as I understand from here forward to live my life for you. In your holy name, amen.